From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today, we look at the uncertainty of the post-COVID era and a new guide offering research-backed tools and strategies for educators attempting to navigate it. We're hoping that what happens out of this is that educators, instead of being passive and reactive and uncertain and insecure and stressed and anxious, they get a little bit more power, a little more capacity to adapt to situations and have a greater sense of agency. We welcome the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education's Michael Nicola and Andy Danilchik. They discuss the guide and the value of developing an uncertainty mindset in the wake of the pandemic. The notion of uncertainty, developing an uncertainty mindset, is really rooted in our efforts to help people cope with situations that undermine their confidence. And by preparing for that sort of thing, we might be able to help guide people through it. And also offer some key takeaways for practitioners, school leaders, and even parents as we move into a new year and an uncertain future. You know, I think it's a really challenging time for parents, but there are also real opportunities for parents to engage themselves in students' learning in a really positive way. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Yemeler, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, we're happy to be speaking with Michael Nukala, Professor of Practice and Chair of the Human Development and Quantitative Methods Division with the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education, or as we call it, PennGSE. Uh, welcome, Michael. Thank you, Keith. Glad to be here. And we're also speaking with Andy Danilchek, Director of PennGSE's Project for Mental Health and Optimal Development. Thanks so much for joining us, Andy. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So today we're discussing a recent guide, which was developed by the Project for Mental Health and Optimal Development, titled Planning for Uncertainty, an Educator's Guide to Navigating the COVID-19 Era. It offers a detailed framework and tools for teachers who are hoping to navigate one of the most challenging periods in American history and to better care for their students and their own mental health in the uncertain months ahead. To start, Michael, could you tell us a little bit about the project for mental health and optimal development and what led you to embark on this initiative? Happy to do it, Keith. Andy and I actually embarked on the initiative together a number of years ago. We'd been talking about our work, the kind of work that each of us does, and my work at the time was primarily located in the connections between research and practice on what I call optimal development, and that is we define optimal development as how students or people of uh, any background come to perform at either peak levels of their developmental possibilities or at commonly high levels of their developmental possibilities. And the reason we think it's important to talk about that is we, we rarely think about how we get to the places we want to go and function at our best when we arrive. So Andy and I began looking at the intersections between mental health and the phenomenon of optimal development. And my work in that arena comes from being a, a longtime counseling psychologist and academic in the area of training and doing research on counseling psychology and related fields. And Andy was working as an educational consultant in a variety of ways for education leaders. And we just put our heads together and began thinking about different projects that would fall under this umbrella. So I think I'll hand it off to Andy and, and let him tell you the rest of that story. 
Yeah, and I appreciate Mike how you uh, how you frame that that intersection of optimal development, mental health. I think mental health issues and issues of what constitutes positive development or optimal development are really central in education these days. And this allows me to do lots of interventions in lots of different places to help the field of education, like in our possibility mentoring work, setting up a global possibility development network with different partners across the world, being able to uh, have our consortium of public schools for mental health and optimal development, where we help public schools build their capacity to do this kind of work. All of that kind of gets at where I think there's a big need in education to address things that aren't necessarily strictly focused on achievement, but rather broadly looking at development in many different ways. So this guide contains a framework and a set of tools, as well as some real life scenarios designed to help educators adapt to and address complex problems in the wake of this pandemic. Um, we'll get to those in a moment, but everything stemmed from one central concept, which you refer to as the uncertainty mindset. Uh, could you explain what that is? Going back to the foundation of the Project for Mental Health and Optimal Development, when we think about the mental health side of that, you know, we often think of concepts like feeling confident and capable of doing our work, whether it's our work as students, our work as teachers, our work in the world in other ways. So confidence is kind of a hallmark of positive mental health. The other side of that, what's the opposite of confidence? Uncertainty might be a way of saying that being unclear whether I'm really able to do the things that I want to do, whether that's in school or at work or wherever it may be. So the notion of uncertainty, developing an uncertainty mindset, is really rooted in our efforts to help people cope with situations that undermine their confidence. And by preparing for that sort of thing, we might be able to help guide people through it. Yeah, and I think we really got very interested in doing work with uncertainty out of our experiences with our different partners in the consortium who were completely overwhelmed by it. And this is, I'm talking about during that, um, that time from March to May when COVID hit really hard and people felt that things were out of control. And these out of control things were getting people into this paralyzed place of not knowing what to do because the variables were shifting so much and not knowing what information to use to make decisions. So. That led Mike and I to have conversations about how do we deal with uncertainty? Now, for our guide, these concepts were developed further. And in it, you can see we give the theoretical framework and we develop a practical framework of how to do the work. So the theoretical framework, the uncertainty mindset comes from various places. One of them is Mike's own work on possibility development, which deals with being able to imagine pathways for development and growth and life achievement, developing skills that help you achieve those kind of goals, those things that you imagine. And as Mike alluded to before, with confidence being an important element to get you to action. So possibility development is one of the theoretical supports for this work. Paulo Freire's concept of critical consciousness, which addresses systems of power and how they work within individuals and institutions. Uh, John Crumbolt's theory of planned happenstance also influences this work. How do we remain open-minded and curious about our environments so we can respond to the unpredictable things? So you could take crises and, and challenges and make them into opportunities. And another theoretical influence is 
Marilyn Cochran Smith and Susan Lytle's work on In Korea's Stance. Now, out of this, we created this uncertainty mindset framework, which has three big key parts. One, dialoguing with stakeholders. Two, consider climate. Three, apply an equity lens. And then after that, going through a process of reflection and evaluation. And we have a template that includes those different parts in the guide where people apply that framework through some kind of um, scaffolding, kind of like uh, steps with questions and things like that, that help them have a situation and then figure out all the different elements of it. And it situates folks for, I think, for maximum adaptability. And we've seen people that go through these steps and go through these scenario templates um, in teams that after doing one, you really get oriented towards it. If you do even more, you start to internalize this approach. And we're hoping that what happens out of this is that educators, instead of being passive and reactive and uncertain and insecure and stressed and anxious, I mean, they may still remain to be some of those things, but they get a little bit more power, a little more capacity to adapt to situations and have a greater sense of agency, maybe put some practical things into into place and really transform their experience of, of working within COVID in a way that's effective and powerful. Uh, that's the hope, at least. That was actually a partial answer to what was going to be my next question, which is how can educators actually employ an uncertainty mindset in their interactions with students and other stakeholders? We have found that case study work is an ideal way to connect the theory of this work and prior experience in this work with current practice. So we've paid a lot of attention to developing realistic case studies that come from educators themselves who are dealing with various types of uncertainty in this COVID era. But, you know, it's as though we've borrowed from the business world and the clinical mental health world, where those disciplines really rely on real world cases to do their planning. We think more of that could be done in education as well. And Andy and uh, the team he put together did an extraordinary job in working with educators to create case studies that make this stuff real. And by working through the case studies in our guide repeatedly, by going through more than one of them and internalizing this approach, educators begin to develop a mindset for conceptualizing how to respond to the different dilemmas that come up in their schools and school districts. But I think Andy can say a little more about that based on the people he's worked with in, in putting the guide together. In our guide, initially, we have six scenarios or case studies, and three of them are student scenarios, and three of them are teacher scenarios, and some of them are virtual, some of them are hybrid, and some of them are socially distanced. So we try to cover the gamut of the kinds of things uh, that we deal with, but we're also, in an ongoing basis, developing additional case studies. But I think when you dig into the framework, when you go through a given scenario, you start to see the complexities and different factors at work, which can lead to different action steps or interventions. For example, there's a student scenario of Marcus who has a bunch of things happening in his life. For example, his grandma passes away. He has difficulty in a virtual environment. He's upset that there's no more basketball, which he really enjoyed playing. And sometimes he's uh, in the hybrid situation there's acting out that sometimes leads to the teacher having the school resource officer, which is like a police-like person, intervene. And digging into these different elements, 
through the framework, like, for example, dialogue with stakeholders. Well, instead of just having it be a teacher that managed situation, maybe the social worker can help engage grief counseling for Marcus. Maybe um, the way the intervention happens with the school resource officer can be a little different if Marcus is getting triggered by that or if it's a little bit too police-like and less connect with the person. So maybe the person that connects with Marcus is the coach that he has a great relationship with or something like that. So when you go through the dialogue with stakeholders, you think of the moves that you could make with the different people in place in a situation that could can lead to good things. The next element of a uncertainty mindset framework, consider climate. You know, what are some larger kinds of things that are creating the situation, uh, that are creating difficulty? So maybe you find out that you could make a move in the environment through which Marcus is, is connecting to online. And you think broadly of climate, like what's the school climate? What's the virtual climate? What's the, when you're not in school climate that enables you to succeed? And another element to the uncertainty mindset framework, apply an equity lens. And this really helps individual educators to think of, okay, what are they, what biases, what kinds of things relating to their identity are they bringing into a situation? And that might help redefine how a teacher approaches a relationship with Marcus. It might also mean that there are certain understandings about challenges in the virtual environment. And there's a larger kind of commitment to not necessarily making a problem all about a child, but rather looking more broadly on how everyone can see what issues are and how everyone can be involved. You know, with students getting through this COVID era, we do well to try to activate the agency of students as much as possible, where they can make choices of how they learn, how they manage themselves. They need support. But equity is very connected to creating spaces where kids can have voice and control as much as possible. And then the important part is after you kind of go through dialogue with stakeholders, consider climate, apply an equity lens, you take time to reflect and evaluate. Because what you do in a particular scenario might impact your larger kind of conceptual framework and your larger kind of practice as an educator and can help you apply that to other situations. And as you mentioned in this guide, there are a number of other examples that show how teachers can adopt these different elements of an uncertainty mindset to move through with intentionality and then reflect afterwards. So listeners that are interested in finding more of those, we really do encourage you to read this guide. But moving on, um, I'm curious if you think that any of these strategies might be useful to parents who, as we all know, have certainly faced their own share of uncertainty this past year. I think it's an interesting question, Keith, and you know one that Andy and, and our team and I have entertained on a number of occasions. Parents are often a, you know, a real sticky part of the equation here. They come from very different places. Some parents are much more comfortable talking about education and engaging with it, including their children's mental health and its relationship to education. And some are not so so comfortable with that. So there, there's a lot of variation here, and we have to factor that into thinking about how this works. But there's a concept underlying a lot of our work that, that I think is valuable for all parents to have a handle on to a certain degree, and that is mental health literacy. And the reason I say that is when parents and, and people in general hear the words mental health they often become anxious themselves. They might think that there's something seriously wrong. 
with their child uh, or themselves for that matter. But mental health, as, as we try to break it down in our work, is something that applies to absolutely everything. It refers to mental wellness, what it means to feel good and mentally healthy. And it refers to aspects of mental illness, what it means when we, we feel less healthy. So for example, helping parents develop a vocabulary for understanding the wider spectrum of their children's mental health, and maybe their own even, is important for this work. I'll just give you a quick example, and we can think about how we might use the uncertainty guide to work through some of this stuff. But anxiety is a common phenomenon in the COVID era. Anxiety, to various degrees, is a common phenomenon for students in all eras, especially middle school and teenage students, when we define anxiety as something akin to worry, worrying about how I'm doing, worrying about my social status with my peers, worrying about my future. So that sort of anxiety is a natural phenomenon. What becomes problematic with anxiety is when it grows out of control and we can't do enough about it. The same thing with stress. You know, there's a relationship between stress and anxiety. Being stressed out over exams or stressed out over college applications is nothing new to the COVID era. We've been dealing with this stuff forever. But how do we support our students when they're experiencing different levels of stress and anxiety? How can parents respond to these concerns? How can parents better understand their role in being supporters of their children who are experiencing stress and anxiety, for example, or maybe their role in inducing stress and anxiety by kind of, you know, encouraging a level of achievement or adaptation that might not be so realistic for the current circumstances. So we're trying to figure out ways of using our case study approach with parents in parents' language to talk about concepts like mental health literacy. What do I as a parent need to know about mental health to be able to do my job to the best of my ability as a parent? Yeah, I think you know that whole idea of promoting one's own mental health literacy. We know that this uh, this COVID era is creating stress, anxiety, uncertainty, and pressure on parents, and specific pressure on how to support their kids with their education. Uh, we have a tool section in our guide that many of the the checklists and the assessments can be useful for parents to look at. We have a mental wellness self assessment. There's like a mindfulness activities checklist. There's, I think, various self-care measures or inventories that can help uh, any adult take stock of where they are and make some steps towards towards greater mental health and self-care. So parents can look at that and apply that directly into their own lives. I also think that the framework is helpful for parents too. I mean, if you consider stakeholders, in that process, there's a lot of active listening. So as parents are engaging with their students, you know, so often when a, the old school kind of cliche interaction between a parent and child, the kid comes home from school, which they're not necessarily doing everywhere now, the parent asks them, how was school today? And the kid says, fine, or good, or something, but usually a one-word response. And then the parent might follow up, what'd you do? And the kid will say usually something like nothing or stuff, and it's kind of left there. I mean, in this kind of era, if there's more kind of engagement where there's real specific questions and listening, you know, a parent can ask a kid, hey, is there something in school that you're really proud of that's going really well? I'd love to hear about it. And then they can have that conversation. The kids having more agency and more ability to narrate their own experience that helps them get through it. And parents can ask them questions like what's challenging, what's hard, or what things do you enjoy the least? 
And with those specific questions, parents then can know about the child's experience. And maybe you'll be in a better position to suggest, well, is there a friend you can talk to that might help you with the content? Or it sounds like maybe connecting with the teacher might be helpful. What's the best way to do that? So you're making suggestions to engage the kid in, in managing their experience a little bit better. And sometimes you'll hear stuff that'll give a teacher an opportunity to connect directly with the teacher, like send an email or call them and say, hey, my kid's struggling with this or there's some confusion about this. I just wanted to let you know, what do you think we can do about that? It just gets people talking to each other and that kind of dialogue across stakeholders can be really valuable. You know, I think it's a really challenging time for parents, but there are also real opportunities for parents to engage themselves in students' learning in a really positive way. And I think the guide helps a little bit to lay out the pathways to do that. There's still quite a bit of uncertainty remaining, but eventually, and hopefully sooner than later, this pandemic is finally going to be consigned to history. I'm curious if you think these concepts and strategies will still offer a benefit to teachers when they and their students resume in-person instruction for good. Keith, I'm so glad you asked the question. Andy and I talk about this a lot, actually. We have learned so much during the pandemic about things we can do better. You know, perhaps things we were taking for granted or even neglecting before the pandemic hit. And I think this last part of our conversation taps into that. You know, working with all of the constituencies or stakeholders that surround our students, perhaps most importantly, parents. So I think we've learned ways of communicating more effectively, potentially, across the stakeholders that inform our students' learning, and I do believe we'll take that forward. I'm going to make one plug for an intervention Andy and I are working on. We're partnering with another group called GABON that is creating technology that allows students to reach out to their parents during the school days through technology that will hopefully prompt communication when they get home. So I think this era is forcing us to be creative and innovative in new ways, and we hope that'll carry over after the, the period's over. Well, I feel like I'm a little bit of a cynic saying this, but Keith, I, I disagree with your optimism and hoping that COVID gets consigned to history. I just don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I think the COVID era like the Great Depression, is this big event filled with intensity and trauma and uncertainty that affects everyone. And I do believe that there's a lot that needs to be done in helping everyone, all the stakeholders of this country and world, come to terms with that. And we need to mitigate the potential harm and damage that can come from that. You know, in the Depression era, the people had tremendous amounts of anxiety after that, no trust for institutions like banks hiding money under mattresses. What is the, the impact of COVID era on mental health largely, on development in a large sense, and what can we do about it? This planning for uncertainty guide is really our first effort to kind of deal with that. And we're focusing on teachers and to have impacts with students and parents and systems as well. But I think we, you know, our additional work, Mike and I and others on our teams, we're talking about how do we meet the moment and beyond the moment, the moment and meeting the generation of how to help this generation through this, you know, not just navigating the mental health landscape of COVID in COVID, but in the post-COVID era where COVID has that, that large impact. And I, I think we're going to be reaching out to funders and researchers and partners to be part of a large effort or a large web 
that's going to do this work. And in a way, it's very, it's daunting, but it's exactly what we need to do in this time. I would love us to find as many opportunities to promote agency, creativity, optimal development in this in suboptimal times that we can. Even if we end up, you know, having the, the virus's presence behind us, the impact is going to stay with us and we have to continue to manage it in the best ways that we can. That's very well said. Well, Mike and Andy, this is just fantastic work. And again, we want to encourage our listeners to go and access the full guide. It's titled Planning for Uncertainty, an Educator's Guide to Navigating the COVID-19 Era. And you can find it now at gse.upenn.edu. Michael Nukula and Andy Danilchek, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Keith. And thanks always, Andy, for partnering in this work. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, you can find us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode or to suggest a future topic, you can follow us on Twitter at CPRI Hub. That's C-P-R-E Hub. <laughs>